0: It's basketball season and we've got you covered. The Ringer NBA show breaks down the latest and greatest around the league five days a week. Check out the Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles And your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth, plus view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com.
1: Okay. Ready? I'm always ready, man. You
2: know this. That's true, actually. Born ready. Actually, I'm never ready. (laughs) That's true. Are any of us? (laughs) Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast in Wenger I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing?
1: I'm all right, thanks Musa. How are you? Very good. Go on. Well, no, no, no. Go on. What's um, happened? Well, it's funny because
2: I was watching the football um, yesterday. I was going, oh, this is amazing. This is so great to watch. I was like, it's not that good. And I suddenly realised the reason it was that good was because that morning I'd watched this movie from 84, 1984 called Threads, which is... It's the kind of documentary of like a nuclear holocaust hitting Sheffield. <laughs> so by contrast, everything on TV after that was, was amazing. So if I sound too enthusiastic about the football, I think so. I was watching it subconsciously, so thinking, "Wow, it's amazing! Everyone's still alive." <laughs> so yeah,
1: could have watched a Michael Henneke film and been like, "What a comedy!" Yeah, <laughs> <After that. laughs> yeah. So literally in the morning.
2: So that's the first thing I watch in the morning. Why are you watching that first thing on a
1: Sunday morning?
2: Well, because you can't watch a horror film at night. If you think about it, because your subconscious goes absolutely <sighs> yeah, buck yeah. wild.
1: But first thing in the morning is, just feels mean. Then you've got a day to
2: recover from. Yeah, but it's not inflicting anyone else. It's not like you're saying, oh, come on, kids. <laughs> you know, it's just, <laughs> it was my own consumption. Oh there we go. dear. Wow. Yeah so, that, yeah. so it's a bit of a, it was a journey.
1: Sounds day. like a journey, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know who else has been on the journey? I think I think they might have won the Euros. Yeah. Ian bloody right, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. It's Ian true. Wright on TV. It's like viral content every yeah. couple of days. Honestly, right. I'm, I'm not sure how busy he is at the moment, so hopefully he won't be listening to this episode so we can pick him up. But honestly, every time he's on TV, my phone just blows up. People are just like, oh my God, right, you just said this. This is amazing. Oh my God, right, he's on TV right he's amazing on ITV. Oh my God.
2: And your reaction is always the same. Your reaction is always like, no, he's not said that. No, no, no. Like it's no, always no, yeah. it's always like, what? 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 yesterday that? again,
1: what? like I had another load of Loki references and then the Ronaldo stuff, and I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> it's like just moves upon moves.
2: The best thing is that it's like the thing about punditry is I always think who's not listening. Like I always mm. think if a casual observer walked past and was like, explain it to me. That's almost kind of who I write for in a way when I'm writing, when I'm commentating, mm-hmm. it's kind of what I aspire to or, let, you know, like if a casual observer of whatever you're into walks past and they're like, explain it to me. You're like, oh, like, oh, tennis, explain it to me. Look, there's a Federer forehand. Now I get it. Right. And the, the, the best thing about the punditry I think he's done is that the casual observer who's like to put their out the door be like, oh, I get it now, which is, I think that's the particular skill.
1: But also just Easter eggs.
2: This too. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that. The bunda (laughs) (laughs) thing.
1: Yeah, that is. (laughs) We're coming with that. (sighs) On prime time TV. Oh, what a guy. Hope you're well, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, on that note, admin. Yes. Yes. The most important bit of admin every week. Hope everyone's staying safe and well. Getting vaccinated if you can. Most Most definitely. Got mine. Mine in the book got mine Uh, in the blood got mine in the blood (laughs) it is what it is Musa has been injected into the sacred timeline (laughs) right his house on Wednesday Jeanette and myself will be joining the king of (laughs) the Euros (laughs) king himself Ian Wright that'll be fun yeah Stadio Archos playlist on Spotify if you want to check all the music we play out with each episode check the ringer.com forward slash soccer for some Euros written pieces I think that's everything still on this kind of like little random schedule, but we might, we might pop up with one before the quarterfinals. If not, they'll then write house. will be rounding up the rest of the round of 16 games and specifically England because it'll be England, Germany on Tuesday night. Yep. Yep. And then um, we may drop a Stadio in before, but it'll probably, if not, it'll be after the, qualif- uh, after the quarterfinals. Other admin, Stadio pride t-shirts are available to buy. They're available for another week to pre-order, and then they are gone. They're available in pink, white, and navy. We're going to be adding, probably, they should be up Tuesday for people who want bigger sizes. We should be able to add another model of T-shirt to that, which will, I think it goes up to 5XL. It won't be available in all the colours, unfortunately, but it will be available, I think, in one or two, or maybe you might even get a bonus colour for that. So that will probably be added Tuesday. But check, um, check the Stadio Twitter at Stadio on Twitter and it's the pin tweet for the link to buy and any further information about those extra sizes will go up on the Twitter and probably Insta as well Stadio Football yeah on that note happy uh, happy Trans Pride to everyone who celebrated in London on the weekend and I think it was Pride Pride in the the US right? I think it was because Berlin Pride is next month and so it was Pride in Istanbul as well. Yeah, and I think Shout pride, out to in, Istanbul. pride in the UK is August usually as well, right? So it's kind of, well, I mean, every day Pride. Every day, of, every, every, it's day it's is a prideful day, yeah, but yeah. You yeah, know yeah. What I mean, one, a, yeah, yeah. one day of unified celebrations and, and uh, festivals. That'd be great. But yeah, hope everyone who celebrated had a lovely weekend. And um, so today, is that all the admin?
2: That's all the admin, right? That's all the admin, yeah. There's no writing up uh, for the time being, but there'll be more, I'm sure, now and again.
1: If you do listen to, to us on a podcast app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. Be very kind. Any bad reviews, go to @okwanga on Twitter. Yes, yes. your thoughts. (laughs) Bring it in, bring it in, people. I'm ready for you. I'm vaccinated. (laughs) Ready for anything. You can't even hurt my feelings. (laughs) So yeah, today we're going to round up the round of 16 games so far, the four games that have been played over the weekend. Uh, We'll start with Sunday night's games and then we'll do Saturday night's games in part two. Maybe touch on a couple of other bits in the roundup very briefly. But yeah, let's get into the football after this. right, man, devil time. Yes, yes. Belgium won, Portugal nil. The holders of the Euros are out, but they won the XG battle. They did,
2: but were they ever fully themselves in the course of this tournament? You can argue they were not themselves until the second half of their final game when facing elimination.
1: I would actually argue that that was the least that they were themselves in the whole tournament, actually.
2: Oh, how about this? Better argument. That was the best they were in the whole tournament, I think the last half hour.
1: In the words of Andy Townsend,
2: better. Better, yeah. They, I think, paid the price for their caution. Absolutely. Throughout, throughout. In, ev- in every game. In, every, in a different way in every game, they paid the price for their caution. The win over Hungary was more anxious than it should have been. Although Hungary, as it turned out, were a far better team than everyone gave them credit. Mm-hmm. Perhaps excluding themselves. Germany, their excessive caution against that midfield in particular invited pressure that they could not withstand. because they were far
1: too welcoming against Germany as well. Far too welcoming. Far too welcoming against
2: Germany. Didn't didn't press. Hmm. Sitting deep is one thing, but not pressing when the team crosses the halfway line or leaves the centre circle is another problem entirely. And when they went for it against Belgium, they looked like a different force.
1: But they just had absolutely no system.
2: And they kind of looked like, if you look at like, the last half hour of what Portugal did against Belgium and gave that team to like, let's say a kind of Roberto Mancini type coach and fast forward a couple of years. That's terrifying.
1: If you gave it to Roberto Martinez. Well,
2: yes. Well, yes, actually. Yes. And Belgium, I mean, Belgium did win, so we should give them obviously props for that.
1: Well, let's start with Belgium then. Let's start yeah, let's with Belgium it. because it. It. it wasn't super fluid. It wasn't the best of Belgium that we've seen. However, they kind of did what they needed to do. And actually This was a bit of one of those which raised an eyebrow. I think people expected Belgium to either kind of like be Belgium and if they don't win the game with some quite fluid football or Martinez-inspired chaos, then that's kind of it. right? This was quite a rugged performance from Belgium actually and bar a couple of quite wasteful counter-attacking opportunities they had towards the end of the game, it actually could have been a couple more. Yeah, And that would have been almost like the arc like the absolutely perfect kind of blueprint to play a, a side that you may think matches up against you a little bit more trickily than everyone than anyone else's in the tournament. There's one that that one where Carrasco just ran around for a bit in the box, and Lukaku was literally just stood still for about thirty seconds. A couple of times,
2: Carrasco didn't make the pass to Lukaku on the break. Actually, yeah, he yeah, did that just first as early
1: one. as as. And I, I mean, I understand why because there was there's obviously a little bit of um you want to impress, you want to come on and you want to maybe, I think sometimes players in that thing, wait for the, wait for the extra man to commit so they could take someone else out and it actually they me of just trust their teammates and release.
2: This is a bit of a niche reference but it reminded me very much of Pedro in the World Cup semi in 2010 Ten. Yeah. when he just gets yeah. excited and it's the uh-huh. only time in Pedro's career, bless him, he ever got that excited because he'd never done that before. He'd never like not played the right pass in that kind of scoring position or breaking position but what was really impressive about this performance, I keep talking about Belgium's win over Brazil in the World Cup 2018 because that Brazil was resurgent and Martinez coached it so superbly and the knock on him for a long time had been that he couldn't do defensive rigour. Do you know what I mean? That was a big mm-hmm. thing. And it was it was valid. Like, he had problems with that at club level. But I think that with the pieces he has for Belgium, I love that he can vary the performance. Actually, funny enough, I would compare him to, you look at like, um, Anderson over at Sweden, and how he can vary the performance according to the opposition. Mm-hmm. And like, there's such a dramatic change between Sweden's performance in the first game of the group stages and the final stage in terms of how progressive they are in their play. Martinez can do that. Martinez can soak it up. And also, to his credit, he got this result at a time when their midfield controller, De Bruyne, had gone. And De Bruyne's substitution, you see the change in the game because. Belgium have really, I don't want to put too much pressure on De Bruyne, but there's no, not pressure, because I can't put pressure on De Bruyne from a podcast, but emphasis on De Bruyne, but there is no real comparative control of midfield tempo. Mm-hmm. And this is something De Bruyne doesn't get full credit for. He gets a lot of credit for orchestrating the attack, but he doesn't get as much credit for orchestrating the flow of the game. If that makes sense. Mm. And I love Tielemans. I love Donker, but they can't do it to that same level. That makes sense. Yeah. I massively and it was, it, agree. it was, it is a cliche, but it was, it was night and day when he went off. When, before he was gone, Belgium were like, we could have a second goal, but we've got this. And it was like, after that, it was like, we really don't got this. It's like in speed when, like, it's like on that Keanu Reeves movie, it's like watching a, watching
1: Keanu's face and he realizes the bus is not actually going to stop. It's just I have to drive it. <laughs> well, I mean, uh- yeah, I actually worried a bit for Belgium when De Bruyne went off. Yeah, yeah, me too. Because there was a period afterwards where they kind of, metaphorically, it felt like everyone was looking at each other and was a bit like, what now? Mm. And to be fair to the Hazards, though, they, they really both kind of stepped up. They did, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously Eden Hazard went off towards the end and so did, so did Torgan and Stop His time, but uh, they also got the absolute shit kicked out of them, the Hazards full game
2: but that's the genius of Aiden Hazard even when he's not a full fitness and talking to who's been you know brilliant in quite a few games now um Aiden Hazard is almost like I don't have that astonishing acceleration I had at my peak fitness he knows that Mm. but what he does so well is draw contact and slow the game down. it's actually very kind of it was very Serie A to be honest it was like Mm. Serie A in the like late 90s where he's like I'm going to get close to someone, spin my man, draw the foul, slow the game down, draw it out. It was really clever, actually, mm. I thought.
1: Um, and, and I thought Torgan did really well as well. He obviously scored that absolute wonder goal in the first half, yeah. which was, it was just really lovely to see so much unified Torgan Hazard love on the timeline. It was, it was great. It was a beautiful also, thing.
2: Can I say as well, what I love about it was the way the play was constructed. Like Belgium mm. have probably, arguably, you could say they've scored three of the best team goals at the tournament the couple they got against Denmark and this one, the way it was built, the way that Lukaku holds it, lays it off and they just pattern it because mm. what Portugal were really good at doing was denying. I mean, with those midfield three, they picked mm. my goodness, like Paulinho, Mendez, Moutinho, they were really good at denying space. And that was the first real shooting opportunity they gave them from that range and they punished them. Like Belgium were really efficient in and around that zone in the first, you know, so the first sort of hour, I would say.
1: Yeah. Portugal did have the better chances. Yeah, that question. And I thought their finishing was rather sloppy. I don't think Belgium had a... They had one shot inside the box all game, Belgium. Uh, Portugal had nine, 14 outside the box. <laughs> one full XG over. Yeah, that's wild. But uh, The XG was like 0.24 for Belgium to 1.35, for, 1.35 for, for Portugal. The Andre Silva one was the one, I think right at the end
2: i thought the header was actually the
1: best of all to be honest felix's header
2: from the no from the corner the header from the corner from ruben diaz it was a Diaz's yeah i thought weird enough that was in a way the best of all because it was the most i don't mean, i'm not blaming him but i think the most presentable actually
1: i think it would have been if it was a free header i think being challenged it's kind of like you know when you always talk about dunking in traffic oh yeah no good point that's good what point. i actually think heading like that is it's like diaz is a big dude mm. strong in the air he, he got a good run on it, but you've also got someone challenging you there. So that, I think it's easy to to underestimate how much focus that takes just to get a clean contact when you've got, you know, you've got an elite defender kind of marking you. Mm. Then again,
2: having said that, I don't think every keeper saves that in a weird kind of way because it went right down. Yes, it went right down mm. the throat, but the reaction saving quarter was so good. It made the header look weaker. Mm. Like someone said, oh, it's straight at him. But then I thought, well, actually... Actually, yeah, it was straight at him, but it was with such intensity, you could imagine a keep that wasn't quite as good, maybe parrying that. Mm. Um, but yeah, the Andre Silva one is funny because also you think to, you know, it's fun, isn't it funny in those games, how you say to yourself subconsciously, there's one more chance in this game. And of course there was, it's, it's, it's weird how even the depths of stoppage time, there's always another opportunity. Yep. Uh, and it yeah should have claimed it. And maybe to slight sort of, slightly to Belgium's discredit, they kept, they kept inviting that pressure.
1: Yeah, they really did. But I think that's quite encouraging for Belgium because I don't think, I mean, what has everyone, like stereotypically everyone has accused this kind of like Belgium golden generation of being able to be got at? Yes, yes. When the going gets tough, yeah. But I think keeping a clean sheet against the side that, really ramped it up for the last half an hour which but which Portugal did. I think we'll be super super encouraged for them going forward and especially with the way that they lined up you know with Munier as the and, and, and Torgan as the as the kind of wing backs if you like like Torgan got awarded man of the match I think. Yeah, yeah. And then gave it to Eden. I know. <laughs> and I don't think that's massively unfair for, me, for for him to be awarded it but I also thought Mounier was really good. And Mounier yeah. is not a player who has been given a lot of credit over the last year, especially since he signed for Dortmund. I think he struggled a little bit to fully settle in at Dortmund. I don't think he was as dreadful as P- at PSG as a lot of people maybe maybe say. Right, right. Many people have highlighted him as, as like a potential weakness in that Belgium side to go at. But I actually thought that they both did pretty well. And if you think Munier was up against Rafa Guerrero for this game, you know, his Dortmund teammate, it's one of the most impressive, consistent, and actually probably most important players for Portugal. Yeah. Rafa Guerrero. Because he just he can do so much, um, and I think especially in a side that Santos, I mean maybe we'll use this to transition onto Portugal properly because this struck me as like Santos being an elite engineer who can't quite keep up keep up with the technology. Really good when it's a hands on thing, doing everything with like a paper and a pencil. But then when the technology improves and he gets all of the new toys, he can't really maintain that work anymore.
2: I think that's completely fair and right because we look at the use of Gerard Felix, for example. I know he was out for the um, Germany game, but Gerard Felix is advanced technology. And I think if a player like that is integrated into the forward line earlier, you have a different outcome. I, I know I'm biased towards him because we've seen what he does at his peak, but when you saw the type of tools, the type of firepower that Portugal had at the end, you couldn't help but think, as a neutral observer, so goodness knows what Portugal fans are thinking. Where was some of this urgency earlier? Mm. And I I get it. Like, to an extent, there's there's a certain amount of faith in players in tournaments, because, you know, managing a tournament is very different to managing in a league season. It's about momentum and confidence, all the rest of it. And it's why, for example, um, Raheem Sterling was persisted with by Gareth Southgate and why other players haven't had minutes because it's about momentum. But if he looks at this again, I wonder if he'll think, maybe I got some of the
1: rotations wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, Andre Silva, who had an absolutely amazing season. Yeah. There's
2: something to be said about players that are coming in hot off a strong season. I think he got the midfield right and the attack wrong. Mm. Um, and I, I, compared, I compared it to this team when I saw it to Jose Mourinho's Real Madrid. And what I meant by that was the three defensive midfielders or defensive minor midfielders you know, although Sanchez did have that thing of, he ha- he's very good on the break and he can play a pass, he can pick a pass, but fundamentally like he has at his best very good defensive discipline and then leaving the front three to kind of improvise, synchronise, innovate, you know, and I don't think that was the right front three to do that.
1: Actually. This is the thing though, man, is when you are dealing with like what, one of the top three players of all time if you look at the personnel they have and you look at what the rest of the personnel is probably more suited to, Ronaldo is such a dominant force on the football pitch, especially for Portugal.
2: Do you know what I think it is? Actually, let me throw this in as well. So what I think it is actually, Ryan, I think that the the two players alongside him, I don't actually think Ronaldo was the problem in this game. I think it's actually, I think Bernardo Silva, to a great extent, and Diogo Jota to a lesser extent, I think that Andre Silva and Joao Felix either side of Ronaldo, it's a different story altogether. Because mm. different... Andre
1: Silva can kind of go as the more dominant line, Joao Felix yes. can play as a second striker, and then Ronaldo can roam. Absolutely. And they have
2: the dynamism and they innovate on the break. So that, that's what I think that is. I think that's the... Yeah,
1: I think that's, I think that's fair because you can't drop Ronaldo. I think there is probably a discussion that's going to come up at some point if... If having a player that dominant in the side actually is the best for what they want to do going forward. Yeah. But they have time to do that now. You know, I think you're playing Qatar and I think that might be it for Portugal for him. Yeah. It makes sense. I think that he wants to do that one final thing. I think Wrighty said this actually on Wrighty's mm. house. And you can imagine Ronaldo. I don't think Ronaldo's level is going to dip below what it is in 18 months. No, because, no, of, def- definitely because not. his no, physicality no. shows no sign of, of waning. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with him at club level, because obviously there have been noises about him leaving Juve, him wanting to leave Juve, whether Juve and Ronaldo works as a a fit. There's a lot that could happen in the next 18 months, and especially with a lot of younger players, like younger Portuguese players kind of coming through. You know, you look at, we haven't really mentioned him at all, but Renato Sanchez has turned into the kind of Renato Sanchez at international level through this tournament I think that most people expected three or four years ago and also I think it's the first time we've seen him or the or on a global scale let's say everyone has seen him in the same kind of way that he's been playing a lot of the time for Lille yes over the last season that is a really, really another really, really good option for Portugal and a very, very good time for him to kind of start firing for Portugal. Unfortunately, obviously they're out of the tournament, but I think that going forward, that gives what I assume will be a new manager. I assume Santos will probably go. I might be wrong, but mm. I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. And I think that he could go with he he can massively go with his head held high, even though maybe they he didn't maximise the pieces at his disposal of this tournament. But what he's achieved at Portugal overall, I think you, when you stand back and look at his legacy as a coach, there you can't fuck with it really.
2: Weirdly it's, enough, I see I see the argument for him hanging around. If you look at like yeah? love, you look at, yeah, if you look at love for example, and the credit in his bank as well. They've won the
1: Nations League, uh, but I think this is dangerous. And the Euros. Mm. Sorry to cut in, but I think this is dangerous. Like, for example, like Love stayed years too long. Definitely three, probably five, maybe seven. And that's a dangerous thing to fall into with credit in the bank at international level because you have so clearly identifiable cycles and yeah and timeframes that you can operate in.
2: I would like to see a coach come in who brought the best out of Silva and Gerard Felix in the final third. That's my own bias because I think that those two... I think those two have higher ceilings than Jota and Bernardo Silva in the final third, in my opinion. I don't know if I see Bernardo. It's weird because he kind of was like a winger for a large part, Monaco, but I feel he's much more a midfielder now, much more an inside player. Mm-hmm. He doesn't give you the dynamism you need. But yeah, Portugal, they've got, it's a nice problem them to have, you know, mm-hmm. it's a nice problem. Like they've got the tools. AVB? Now that, yeah, because <laughs> tournaments are so short that he wouldn't. Exactly. He wouldn't yeah, AV, it it's a the perfect end.
1: gig for AVB. It is actually, you know. Can you imagine AVB managing Cristiano Ronaldo though? That's the only thing I can't really. Yeah, true. But it's a actually, different no. AVB now. This is a different AVB than the one obviously that went to Chelsea and Spurs. Also,
2: it's AVB managing a Portuguese team. Yeah. Different, different, different energy.
1: But yeah, Belgium are through to play Italy in the quarterfinals. That's going to be a really good game. We'll talk about Italy a little bit later, but it was <laughs> extremely interesting. It's heating up. Is eating up. Uh, let's go to the Sorry. other Sunday game, or did you want to? Oh, actually, before we do move on, can we just get a shout for a moment of the tournament?
2: Oh yeah, you, yeah. I saw you. I saw you tweeting about. I saw you tweeting about this.
1: Yuri okay. Telemans, with two minutes to go of normal time, in the knockout stages of an international tournament where his side is leading one 0 in his own box, just back heels it. <laughs> just back heals it <laughs> I want to shout out Charlie on Twitter uh, who's at CWMSIV who just said he reposted it just saying instantly thought of Ryan when that happened <laughs> oh, so funny oh, thanks so much Charlie that it means, it means the world he knows you he knows you too well yeah unbelievable should we go to the earlier game yeah let's do it let's do it oh 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 the Netherlands nil the Czech Republic too Andy Brassall and James Horncastle's goal bay, Patrick Schick with another... Lovely clean finish. ...to wrap the game up after Thomas Hollis had opened the scoring just before the 70-minute mark. The game changes on, what, like a minute stretch?
2: Yeah, 27 seconds, 26 seconds. Was that the gap? 26 seconds, I think it was, yeah.
1: Where Doniel Marlin goes through on goal, tries to go round the goalkeeper... Who plays, that really, who plays
2: that really well, actually. He plays that very well.
1: Yeah. Ball goes up the other end. Mateus De Ligt with the NBA hustle play. <laughs> what was he doing? I mean, you kind of get what he was doing. I think that's just a, that's a reaction thing, right? But it was panic. Just not, it's panic. It was panic, yeah.
2: He looked so bewildered that he kind of drags the ball back with his arm. And it's so strange. He does it almost in that moment as if no one in the world can see him. And it's almost like, no, everyone in the world that watches football is watching this match. Everyone has seen it. But even like the kind of surreptitious scoop of the arm, like as if he's hiding his, it's like he's hiding it with his body. And I'm like, no, no, everyone in the world has seen that. But this performance was tragic. It was a tragedy in the kind of Greek sense because, from Dilitt because he starts off early, quite aggressive, like nearly scores actually quite early mm. on. And then over time, you see him losing the defensive battle. Mm. And this handball that comes, it's almost like, it's been foreshadowed because he's his footwork isn't quite good enough against the check forwards and it's like he keeps losing 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 battle after battle and then this one comes and it's like it's not as if this was triggered by all of that but it was like this was a microcosm of how they caught him out quite a few times in the game before then mm. and it's sad for him because I said this before, I said this to you in the chat didn't I that I never really liked the kind of it move to Juventus. No, uh, from, I, I never really liked it because I felt like it wouldn't be good for his development. And you've got to do a lot of homework as a Dutch centre-back with that forward line and that midfield getting as excited as I are going forward. Mm. You've got to do a lot of homework and it's unfair on Dillard, but it's kind of a Dejan Lovren type thing where you're a good player, but the height and the attack ambition of your team exposes you. Mm. And weirdly enough, it's funny because The Netherlands went out in this game and they weird enough they were chaotic in the lead up to this game but they weren't that chaotic in this game and that's almost what cost them like their lack of inventiveness I don't know if it was the occasion or the moment or whatever but they kind of played a bit too much within themselves in the attacking third I thought is that Mm. fair? And by the time they did it was kind of kind of a Portugal thing by the time they did it was too late.
1: I didn't really like this 3-5-2 to be honest with with a flat two up front. I've never liked a flat two to be honest but that's another thing. It just felt unnecessarily busy in there. I think it kind of works if you have Vakos up front in this game. Remember when we were talking about the Champions League final when we were saying that, like, you know, when Pep got, Pep got the overthinking stuff thrown at him, and we we're like, well, actually, if you're going to change it, like, change it, like, yeah, go really wild. But I don't. I think just taking Vakos out as some kind of like tactical I thought, curveball, I don't think worked at all in this. I thought game.
2: it was a big mistake. I thought it was a big mistake. I thought actually, weird enough, the pivot when you have a three-five. Two, what is that allowing you to do? It's allowing you to flood wide areas, right? Mm. You're flooding wide areas. You need someone who's a supreme header of the ball.
1: Because
2: mm. what's all the point of that width if you're not going to cross it? And then if you're going to flood wide areas and push everything high, then it allows Depay that space behind the front man to mm. operate in that kind of little space. So it allows Vekhorst to pin the centre-backs and Depay to operate in a crowded midfield. That's perfect. I I, I didn't get the Vekhorst thing late. I didn't get it.
1: No, I didn't and actually I think I w- I would have as soon as Delit gets sent off I would make a couple of changes there to bring Vercors on uh Vakost on and basically just play the pie off him because right. you have an outlet then and you need an outlet to counter attack against when you when you're playing with 10 men.
2: Well to me that should have been the starting front too, so that's yeah. my own view.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree but I think that if in it definitely should have happened then the fact that Vercors doesn't come on f- until 21 minutes after Delit gets sent off. I think is was a wild decision. The thing that, that would have allowed the Netherlands to do is almost kind of bypass that midfield. You could have pushed someone else a little bit higher up, dropped someone else a little bit deeper and just kind of allow, like almost just bypass the centre of midfield. Or if you're going to go through it, use Frankie, Dion. Yeah, yeah. I think it would have allowed the Netherlands a little bit more breathing room. And I just don't think they really got it. They had no. a couple of chances still to, but I I just don't think they really got it after that. And they never really looked, they never really looked like doing much. I don't think. Which was strange. Yeah, yeah. it was strange. Yeah, it
2: was strange. They had a couple of good, they had a couple of opportunities in the sort of inside left channel when Depay put in a great, what was it Dumfries put it wide? Um, that had a quite a good opportunity in the first half, which are really good. we one of those ones where the forward doesn't realise how much space they're actually in. Mm. Uh, but apart from that, they kind of struggled to create, but
1: that's also because the Czech public are like... They're a good team, you know. Just, yeah, just serious. I mean... International tournaments always have teams like this though, who are just actually like, um, they, may, they maybe don't have the names, but they have the, they have the pieces in the right areas. They're like that
2: five-a-side team at Power League who've been playing together for six years straight and who basically always win. Like yeah. they're just so well... You can tell they play together and they know exactly what each other like to do. Mm. You know, Suchek obviously was great again. chick has been outstanding.
1: Hollis, man of the match. Yeah, Hollis, yeah, exactly. Like Goal and assist. They absolutely deserved it, I think. Yeah, 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 definitely. However, they. I mean, I know that they played, what, the last 35, uh, 40 minutes against 10 men.
2: But it's the way they stepped it up, the way they stepped it up after that change. They
1: Yeah, they really went for it, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that this is a sign of actually, that, that England result against Ch- the Czech Republic isn't looking so, so Really yet. not,
2: it's really not. Like, people need to look at... Um, results in full context. Mm. Like the Hungry performance, as it turned out, uh, until like 70 minutes in against Portugal, maybe the two teams coming after should have paid more attention to that. Mm. You know, instead of just the and oh, 3-0, actually like look at the granular detail of that result because early tournament results tell you a lot about what's going to happen later, funnily mm. enough.
1: Uh, so the Czech Republic are through to play Denmark, who we will talk about after the break. All right, man, Saturday evenings games. Denmark beat Wales 4-0 in Amsterdam. Oh, what a disappointing way to go out for Wales, huh?
2: Yes, and also disappointing, certainly, because the last two goals, I think, make it more painful than it should have been. Mm. But important to remember that. if a bit of disruption, Wales, they lost Ryan Giggs in the eve of the tournament. Mm-hmm. And, you know, key players for them haven't necessarily been in the... The best form coming into this, Daniel James has struggled for different reasons. Gareth Bale hasn't had maybe as many games as he would have expected arriving. This was realistically about as far as Wales could have been expected to go. And I just wonder if people have forgotten, with all the terrible things that have happened to Denmark, they are just a very good team with or without Eriksen. Mm. They really are just a really good team with... A couple of players who got the
1: individual spark to do something quite exciting.
2: This this result was kind of a couple of goals, goals below par, but I think fundamentally quite fair.
1: I mean, Denmark were good, man. Denmark were really, really good. And yeah. losing Yusuf Paulson before the game, which...
2: Paulson's a better forward at this point than Dolberg in terms of his trajectory.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Although it's easy to forget just how good Dolberg was. Yep. And can be, yep. and can still be, if that makes sense. Also,
1: Daniel Vass as well was out, but I think, yeah, there aren't, hmm, this is the thing. There aren't actually a lot of sides in the tournament who could replace a player like you support them with a player like Kasper Dahlberg, if you think about it. Right, right. The depth it was just is like good. plug and play of a certain quality and go. And I mean, his, his first goal, very soothing sound, the goal, the <laughs> nice ping of the net, but it was some goal, man. And like, Denmark are really, really intriguing because you look through their starting 11, even without Christian Eriksson, they're kind of steady all the way yeah. through. Yeah, And it's kind of a similar thing that we were talking about Czech Republic before. Like you need certain ingredients, I think, to win, not to win, but to kind of go deep in tournaments. And I think they kind of have that. The Maybe the only thing they don't really have is... An Ericsson,
2: It's an Ericsson. It is an Ericsson. That's it. That's all that's, he's all it, that's missing. It is. Actually. That's yeah, the irony. It is.
1: It is. I think that maybe th- as m- as great as Kasper Dolberg was and as great as Yusuf Poulson is, I think there are maybe like a, a rung below the, or maybe one or two levels below the absolute top level striker who you probably need to win a tournament. Like if you look at the people who have won over the last, however long, maybe apart from Spain. Put it this way. If you put a Lewandowski in this team, it goes off. Yeah, yeah exactly. No That's not to discredit or to disrespect any of the players who were there, but it's just like, they're, they're really good. Like I think you, we said before about Paulson who has been kind of very underappreciated at Leipzig. Kasper Dolberg has kind of started to rekindle some form at Nice. Like he had that, was it the hat trick he got earlier on in the season, last season or the season before? Do you remember we were talking about it?
2: Yeah, we talked about it before, once before the podcast, I think. Dolberg's an interesting case because Dolberg, like I say, when he was at Ajax, was on he was on the path to become one of the very best new generation strikers mm. and it kind, of ha- it kind of has gone sideways for him mm. in a sense, yeah. which is you know, still pretty good, but he hasn't continued his, his ascent as you'd expect. But yeah, like an elite striker. And when, I say, when we say elite, we mean like, like top 10 in the world or knocking on that door.
1: But if you look everywhere else in the team, like through the center of the park, like you go, you look at the spine of that side, Schmeichel, Kier. Vestergaard and Christensen next to him. Delaney, Hoiberg, And then the striker up top. Like, it's a pretty good spine. Feels a little Dortmund,
2: actually. It does, actually. Yeah. You know It feels a little bit Dortmund. Like, even that, that defensive midfield axis that allows a bit more of the chaos to float in different areas. Mm.
1: Obviously, the last two goals of the game were in what well, the NBA would call garbage time, I suppose. Miller's goal. It was a good goal, though.
2: Yeah, lovely finish, that. Very really Arshavin. Very Arshavin. Going high at the near post. I know. This is a kind of, yeah, there, there are sort of, this is like a collector's item. Like, There's a sort of niche collectors of the finish high at the near post will like this one.
1: Sam and used to do that a lot,
2: actually. He loved that. So there was a whole rush of players doing that around us. It wasn't there. They're like, no one yeah. did it, and all of a sudden, everyone was doing it, which and is then quite funny.
1: Everyone stopped doing it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. the XG, when the XG gods exactly. going, <laughs> i will punish you and banish you unless you take high quality chances (laughs) (laughs) there needs to be a oh my god x thor i'm the god of high quality chances the god of high
2: quality chances yeah exactly (laughs) no it's worse it's like a footballer is through on goal and when they're about to shoot the microsoft clip art goes hello it's supposed to be a low chance, <laughs> a low
1: percentage. Are you, would you like help with this opportunity? <laughs> it's like one of those. It's like the cookies notifications you get. Do you want to accept all or reject all? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is, <laughs> man. I'm into this. Exactly. I'm sure the XG gods. Well, there is the XG gods, obviously, but like the actual kind of like a character about it. What would you call them? I am Sitter the god of high-quality chats Sit up.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I am burdened with tappins. <laughs> Robbie Savage really couldn't believe that Harry Wilson got sent off. And whilst I don't think the actual tackle itself was a red card, I think the intent combined with the tackle was kind of a red card. Does that make
2: sense? Yeah, you have to look at intent as well. Like we um
1: like it was very very spiteful. It was full of frustration and he could have even though he didn't, he could have really hurt the guy completely unnecessarily. It was kind of like do you remember was it Luke Shaw tried to take out Saint? not oh, uh, Lucas Moura in the Man United Spurs game earlier on in the season. Yeah. And it was a pure frustration thing. And they really they're, they're really quite dangerous those tackles because it could really hurt someone and it was completely unnecessary. It was pure frustration and he was miles away from the ball. Whilst the actual contact maybe didn't warrant a red, I don't think. I think the action slash intent was really there.
2: I believe I'm a believer in reds for those, to be honest. Because it's dangerous play and it's the context. If you think about the tone that it sets for a game where that tackle goes unpunished, mm. how often have you seen times in games where a tackle goes unpunished and then a couple of minutes later it's escalated and then there. that's the one? So yeah. this is what it's about. It's about just like applying the, applying the brakes to it.
1: And then obviously the Brathwaite one in extra time that took an absolute age to confirm for for the offside. That Which was
2: quite nice, but do you know, I like that. The only reason I liked VAR in that case is because he got to fully enjoy it twice because he was so hyped about it when it went in.
1: Mm.
2: And then like there was that delay and then like seeing him like get the joy again, I was like, ah, oh, that's nice of Brathwaite because he's been criticized quite a lot by quite a lot of people.
1: He's mm. um, a team guy, man. He's, he obviously, you know, I think it might have been Diana Christine either posted a tweet or re- retweeted something that's saying Martin Brathwaite is an example of someone who, even with relatively limited ability compared to the top level players, is an example of where you can get if you work extremely hard in football with that ability. I and love that. I, I love think that. Analysis, that's really fair yeah. and a really good attitude, I think. He seems like a really, really good team player.
2: And a lot of people don't have the humility People that see themselves as nines don't have the humility to play wide forward like that. They don't have yeah, that. Yeah. You know, they would, just, oh, um, that's not my energy. No, no, he
1: did it. He goes for it. Yeah. They will play Czech Republic in the next round. That's a tasty tie. And I don't think I can call it. I can't at all. I know that it was probably a 2 0 game this, but I didn't expect it to be this comfortable for Denmark against Wales, actually. I really didn't.
2: The reason I fancy Denmark over the Czech Republic it's only because they've proven themselves capable of starting with an astonishing intensity. Mm. They went, you know, they went right at Belgium. And I know it was the context of all the rest of it, but the way they went with that ferocity and they can hit you quite early and they can sustain it. And Czech Republic are just a great, great team. Uh, no, I don't know why I'm making a tip because I'm just holding myself out for ridicule here, but I don't know. I think that um, Denmark have got a nice, they've got some good tools about them. And defensively, here's the key. They're robust, actually. mm They're impressive defensively. And this is the thing, I always forget this when big tournaments come around. I always forget it, apart from the case of France, but teams with the best defences generally are the ones that persevere. The only exception to this general rule, I think in recent times, Ryan, has been Brazil at the 2002 World Cup, who are probably the most chaotic tournament winners in the last 25 years of tournament football. It was so chaotic. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, with that that exception, defensively robust teams tend to be the ones that are there and thereabouts at the very end.
1: Let's talk about the other game on Saturday. Italy 2, Austria 1 after extra time. This game deserved Mm. penalties, to be honest. It went that long.
2: Did anyone else deserve it, though?
1: (laughs) True. Was this Marco Arnautovic's peak Alnautovich moment? Booked after a couple of minutes, he got the ball, he moved down the left-hand side, did a step over, broke away from the defender, cut back, stuck two defenders on their bum and it was like, this is unbelievable. And then when it came for it to land, land the, lo- the knockout blow, it went out for a throw. And then the goal, which was an unbelievable header. Yeah. 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 Celebrating over the top, giving the crowd, the like, what are you chatting about? Shush. What are you chatting about? Oh, you're not singing now kind of thing. And then it gets ruled out for, for offside. I mean, I mean, I don't want to be, I don't, I know that sounds a little bit mean and I'm, 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 I don't mean to sound mean, but obviously he can take it. He's, he gives it.
2: I think he's been, he's been on the biggest journey. I thought it was Lukaku at the first. I think he's felt everything this tournament. And it's frustrating. It was was quite symbolic because I think Alaba is the person that assists him for his goal. And it was really symbolic. Well, the disallowed goal was really symbolic that the two players on whom all the the bulk of the hopes rest were involved in that goal. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's also symbolic. The disallowed goal was on out I remember seeing that and going, this isn't karmic because I'm not a believer in that, but it does feel poetic that it was that moment.
1: It's one of those, like, you couldn't write it, but you absolutely could write it. And that's why people say you couldn't write it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly this. Exactly this. (laughs) But If people wrote it, it would be a
2: little bit too on the nose. It was way too on the nose. Um, And Italy didn't need too much of a further invitation. And the breakthrough goal scored by Federico Chiesa, and it's now like father and son who've scored for Italy at major tournaments. Mm -hmm. And he has been extremely impressive. Second half of the season for Juventus in particular, he's just emerged as as the guy, really, in the Juventus attack, covertly. Uh, the Coppa Italia final, I think, he got, I think he got the winner in the final, Coppa Italia. Mm-hmm. Um, Chiesa was doing his own thing. And what's amazing is he's become, you know, that's a big surname to people that, people that, you know, of a certain vintage, like my age group, that is a big surname to escape. So yeah, remarkable what he did. And um, Italy pull away, they, they got, they went 2 they went up actually.
1: Mm. And Austria pulled one back. But they looked in control. Italy's backline, I think, is is so reliable, or has been so far. Um,
2: they've got the most balanced team at the tournament, I think. They create the most chances, I think, and they have had the best balanced defensive. I mean, of course, this is a caveat. The group is not, was not the strongest, but they've got really good balance, and the defence is a huge part of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, they were one of them. They were one of the only top teams who really flew out at the, in the, of the group stages. Mm. You know, maybe maybe Belgium were the other. Actually which is why this quarterfinal is super interesting.
2: And here's the thing, Lukaku could make himself a very unpopular man in Italy. And part of me feels like
1: he wants to. Is this going to be his Maradona <laughs> moment?
2: It, well, it absolutely. Mar- yeah, this is very much Maradona against Italy and Naples. He could be that guy. And I think he, I think he welcomes the opportunity to be that.
1: I think, he, I think he's going to navigate this fine, to be honest. I think that he, I think we said it, like he's kind of elevated himself to like spokesperson territory. Yeah, the Lukaku. statesman. Yeah. Statesman, that's the one, sorry. Statesperson
2: yeah 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 yeah. very much this is one of those ones where you look at it and have to think this is a moment for him and he's he, he's aware of moments he knows like you know he's aware of milestones in careers this has been in many ways a signature tournament for him because even when he hasn't scored he's been extremely disruptive and decisive
1: oh he was keen to the build up to, key to the build up of the goal for example
2: and also, also the, frankly the breaks that he made late on mm. a couple of those breaks he made were absolutely incredible there's one that he makes like a 40-50 yard run yep through traffic to hold possession, then doesn't get the the, the the attack doesn't finish in a style that his approach deserved. Yeah, he's a constant, constant threat, mm-hmm. and I wonder if he looks. This is kind of you know this is this so far has been that standing tournament for him, and he could cap it with a big performance. I think this is, and this is why I slightly fancy if I have to pick anyone, which I don't because I'm putting this pressure on myself. Mm-hmm. I'm confident about Belgium's chances with a, with a fully fit De Bruyne. I think they have the tools for it.
1: I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to fence it on this one, but I know it's going to be amazing, put it that way.
2: Can I do one other thing before, I, before we um, bounce from this? One quick shout for Gianluca Vialli on the sidelines alongside Mancini, because yeah. that's so, in, that is so interesting in terms of the kind of... Samp boys. The brains trust. Yeah, the brains trust. You've got the Sampdoria guys, obviously, we went to the final to get the European Cup final, I think, in 92. Both played for Italy Vialli got a chance to do his thing at major tournaments when Mancini didn't. Mm. Um, so Vialli at the 90 World Cup, I think it was. And it's just really interesting to see him in the mix. And I'm like, what's he saying to them? Like, what kind of conversations is he having? The experience? Because he he won everything pretty much. You met the guy. Yeah, that's true. Well, so that's why it intrigued me because I thought like, I've obviously like you know, met him, been around him for a bit. And, um, he, one thing I remember thinking was, I, me- I remember this because he obviously managed um, Chelsea. He had a mixed time of it, but you know, won something. So, you know, you can say that. But one thing he absolutely adored, he loved being a consultant for Sky. He loved having that slightly detached role. He was so proud. And when, when I interviewed him for my, my book, uh, Will You Manage? It really struck me that, you know, because he was going on these amazing golfing holidays with his mates. It's a fly to like, A golfing island for three days and just like golf it up. But what he loved was being able to kind of drop in and give expert analysis, kind of like a Thierry Henry style. And I remember thinking, I've always felt with Henry that his best role is actually just mentoring elite footballers, elite strikers in particular. I agree. Seeing him on the side days, I was like, wow, you found your natural place. You found that place that I kind of saw all along, which was like, just go and do your thing, but just drop in and give like a few days at a time of like expert intense advice, then bounce again. And it really feels like he's loving that at the moment, particularly.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, great to see. Just very, very quickly, the women's Primera wrapped this weekend. Barcelona, they lost that one game against Atleti, but they finished with a plus 152 goal difference, 99 points, played 34, won 33, lost one. And uh, Tony Duggan is leaving Atleti. It looks like she's going to Everton, apparently. Great pickup for them. Yeah. Great, great signing for them. Copper America. Argentina and Brazil are top of their groups. The knockouts start on Friday. Maybe we'll keep an eye on that and touch on those through the Euros as well. Shall we roll? Yeah,
2: let's roll, let's roll.
1: Don't forget, we'll be back write Righteous House on Wednesday. Until then, we hope you're staying safe, staying well, enjoying the football, getting vaccinated if you can. Playing out this episode on more by Love Shadow because what we do need is more football.
2: Exactly. More, more football. More. 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 <laughs> more.
1: Higher quality chances, says the XG coach. Not
2: Thor, but more. More yeah. is the god of XG. Oh SG. my God, You're, more is the more. god of XG. That's it. More. Spe- M-O-A-R. It. More. More. <laughs> that's it oh we got there we did we did well done team we did no, it well
1: done you you did that all on your own I'm very proud of you
2: no no it's, cum- it's cumulative it's cumulative we no. build we build
1: uh, Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify go search for Stadio Outros and you will see all the music we play out with each episode in a nice little playlist don't forget to check the ringer.com forward slash soccer uh, Stadio t-shirts remember they're only on sale for another week so go to Stadio on Twitter check the pinned tweet for all the info and uh, yeah that's everything we'll be back on Wright's House on Wednesday and then we'll be back with another stadio definitely after the quarter so until then much love everyone see you then bye